and welcome to Crystal Myth. I'm Mark Warren. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Great start. Okay. <laughs> right, I'm Leslie Anderson and... I'm Mark Gordon. Sorry about that, guys. Right, okay, so... <laughs> so now the topic for today is vampires so that's a big one um, but one a topic that I am quite interested in since pretty much when I was like five years old when was the earliest age you were aware of the vampire myth Mark? Um, I feel like similarly to yourself I couldn't specifically say from when I was five but I've also always been interested in vampires I've always found the idea quite fascinating especially as it became a teenager, I think I became more and more into the kind of vampire or the European vampire mythology and everything that surrounds that. I became very interested in that. So, but yeah, it comes up remember. See, I think that's pretty typical that when you're a teenager, the idea, the romantic idea of vampires sort of gets into your head or becomes more interesting. Uh, whereas now it's not that, I don't know, it's, it's, it's not that intense anymore for me. Like, it's just... No, I don't have a passion for it anymore as I did back then. I was totally obsessed. Bringing back to when I mentioned that I first became aware of vampires when I was five years old. The reason why I say that is because my mum thought it would be fine for me to watch Hammer Horror films. So one night she just thought, oh, there's some Hammer Horror films on Dracula. I know. Let's have Leslie watch that. <laughs> she find that interesting. I don't know what was going through my mum's head. Um, so then I was watching like this tall handsome guy with his blood red eyes and the long cloak and I was just like absolutely captivated by Christopher Lee's Dracula and then after that I was just I was obsessed with him I just couldn't stop thinking about him and I used to think I used to fantasize that he was like my father or something and then we were somehow linked and I just would go in the playground and pretend that my black raincoat was a cloak and and I just ever since then I was just fascinated by the whole like concept of, of vampires but I think from that point of view it was just in a romantic sense, like an older, kind of dark, handsome guy that seduced women. <laughs> if I you think, can think of a five-year-old thinking of that, that's a bit strange, but anyway. The like, majority of the vampire myths, certainly, that I've looked at seem to involve that element of like they're seductive, either they are exceptionally attractive or they can appear exceptionally attractive. And I think that's part of the reason why a lot of people develop a kind of infatuation with the idea of it. But I also think it's quite interesting that Obviously, they're kind of were almost adopted by Christianity, especially as a Ooh, watch out. There's evil things out there, but yeah, there's that whole kind of the sin of lust and oh, they're evil because they're sexy, which is. Great. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about the, the vampires in Western myth um, sort of originated, I believe, in the sort of Western Eastern European sort of um, folklore. Um, where I think it's also to do with like fear of death and what happens after you die to your, your body, so to speak. So like back then they might not have been aware of the full process of decomposition. This is pretty grim, but like bodies would tend to bloat. And then as a result of that, blood would be pumped through like through the eyes and the mouth. So it looks like they've been drinking blood or something, maybe to, I, I don't know, someone doesn't know what that means. So it looks... And it also, it makes the body look as if it's more plump and fresher than it was. Like, say, if you died a sort of white, thin person, you're quite thin and pallid. And then they looked at your body after a while, after, like, before it was buried or something, and it started looking plumper. That was the reason why. But then they just presumed that that was because it must be because you've come back from the dead. <laughs> Logical <laughs> assumption. Like that. I suppose, then, as well, when you were starting to say that there, I thought, well, why would that then lead to the idea of them being like sexier than they were in life or more attractive than they were in life but I suppose if you've lived in a time where everyone was impoverished then yeah. the, somebody being plumper would be somebody would be getting sexier they wouldn't be horribly underweight <laughs> anymore and <laughs> so maybe, yeah, like, <laughs> have you seen how much of a hot corpse he is yeah. and he's got his blood <laughs> ticking all the boxes yeah and that the nails would appear longer the teeth would appear longer and the hair would appear longer so they would think that because of the skin retracting or, or you know the state of decomposition that they would assume that what was that mark notification <laughs> 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 yeah right so it would be like as if they're they were still alive then because their hair's growing and their nails are growing longer so they would appear like as if they'd they were still growing there was 
I'm trying to find out that took a note of it because I was looking at lots of different yeah. random sort of early ideas of vampires and where the idea came from. But there was one of them that was about their hair, that, which was relating to their hair so growing. I think it was the one that came from Roma culture. So the idea of a mullow, yeah. which was like a pre-vampire, basically, it was the idea of a vampire before anybody came up with the word vampire. And mullow just means one who is dead. But they had this idea that if you didn't give a dead person a proper burial, yeah. they would return. And they would look almost exactly the same, but the way you would tell they were a mullow is that they would be dressed entirely in white, that they would have much longer hair sometimes down to their feet, and that they would always have something that looked physically slightly different about them. Um, Which I thought, yeah, that kind of ties into the idea of, yeah, your hair keeps growing, your nails keep growing. I don't know, maybe they buried their dead dress entirely in white. I couldn't really find that out. Or maybe it's linking to the idea of sort of ghosts and them being dressed in white. And it was also if you were dyed in a specific way, like if you were a suicide um, or if you were deemed a witch or you didn't have, like you say, a proper Christian burial or something like that, then you, your soul wasn't at rest and it came back or it was it was prone to, it was like vulnerable to be possessed by like evil or it was basically like vampire, the corpses would be at, like an evil rev- revenant. You were one of those, but it's interesting about the suicide thing. I thought it was quite, like you saying about the suicide thing and the thing with witches that, again, going back to what I was talking to you about last time and how I find it really interesting that parts of other mythology are adopted into more modern mythologies. And I thought, well, how did it end up being one of the parts of um, sort of Slavic culture that was then adopted by Christianity? And I was sort of looking into that and exactly as you were saying, it was the sort of pre-Christian Slavic idea of light and dark and life and death and the natural and the unnatural. And when Christianity came along, they kind of got them to abandon all of those ideas and they were obviously classed as witchcraft, but they kept the the unnatural idea because they had this belief in chaotic forest spirits, which were like almost the opposite of the gods. And then in vampires that, as you say, were people who weren't buried properly. So when they then forcibly converted people to Christianity, they just sort of slightly altered the vampire idea. So instead of it being you weren't buried properly in their kind of traditional pagan beliefs, it was that you weren't buried properly according to Christianity or you didn't live a good life according to Christianity, so therefore would be cursed to come back as a vampire. Is, is there a link to Jesus in there then? Because he died and then was resurrected and came back and you drink his blood as part of a ritual. So in a way, well, I know they sometimes call him the zombie Christ, because he's also <laughs> his body, but is he sort of a vampire as well? Or you become a vampire as well because you're drinking his blood, essentially. There's something fucking weird about that. I mean, I couldn't find any links between any of the stories that the story of Jesus or the parts of the story of Jesus that are lifted from elsewhere, are based around linking to vampires. But yeah, I, I do totally get what you mean. It is an interesting idea, and there certainly does seem to be something there that, yeah, if Jesus, if basically we drink of Jesus, you go to church and you drink of Jesus' blood, and then you're kind of in Jesus' thrall, you want to do what Jesus thinks is the right thing to do, that's very much... Yeah, we literally believe that when you drink the wine, it actually turns into the blood of Jesus, so you are ingesting blood, which yeah. is a very vampiric thing to do. So with the concept of like vampires exchanging blood to each other, passing on their powers, by drinking, this might sound crazy, but if by drinking the blood of Jesus, are you in some way retaining some sort of power of Jesus? What do you think of that? I mean, in a way, yeah, because... You want to join? <laughs> well, okay, so you drink the blood of the vampire and then you're in the vampire's thrall, but some people would actively want to do that because then they can go forward and hopefully become a vampire themselves and have eternal life like see eternal life in heaven what? yeah and then the idea of drinking the blood of jesus is if you're not a good christian then you don't get to get into heaven so you don't get to have eternal life so yeah there does seem to be if not a link then certainly a, a member there so when you were talking about the traditional um sort of slavic folk culture and mm-hmm. how it's sort of merged into christianity when it makes me think is that where the garlics sort of comes from in the mirrors because like they well the mirrors is linked to them not having a soul but I don't know where the garlic comes from. I'm not sure where that originates. And then there's like the cross um, and then vampires being having to be invited in. These are all strange sort of traditions that I'm not really sure how they originated. I've never really looked right into that because I love garlic. I mean, I'm also like really garlic. I, <laughs> I actually looked into that as well and I couldn't find anything on the garlic in the mirrors and so on. It was basically just saying that that was an older Slavic idea. It carried on from is it Upir, the, uh, the sort of Slavic pre-vampire idea before they had the word vampire, they had Upir, which is a bit like evidence. Sorry? Stragoi, that was a word they used before they used vampire. Stragoi in Romania. 
what is what, what's a, a dragoi? Am I saying that right? Uh, stragoi. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but that's how it's spelled um, with an S. I'm sure I wrote it down somewhere. Sure I did also that there did seem to be all these different Slavic cultures, like there was a sort of pre-vampire idea of a vampire um, with a group called the Kashmirs. There was a pre-vampire idea of vampires in Russia. There was a pre-vampire yeah. idea of vampires in Bulgaria. Like it seemed to be all about that area and they had obviously different ideas on how to stop the vampires or where their sort of weaknesses lay. And then there was like um, burying corpses upside down to prevent them rising again and then pinning them. You know, if that's where the state comes in, because if you're pinning them to the earth, they can't come out. Ah. You're sort of preventing them from rising from their grave, essentially. And that's why you get a lot of, um, especially in the 18th century, um, which might tie into body snatchers as well, but also to prevent them from rising again, you get a lot of um, gravestones that aren't upright, but they're actual slabs, like on the ground, like heavy yeah. slabs, flat on the ground, um, which is to prevent people, again, rising from the earth. And then maybe that's where the whole method of the vampire has to return to their coffin at night to sleep because if you cemented over the top of it you wouldn't technically kill them but they would be sealed away you would be protected from them yeah and then the, 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 what was it there was an incident where they discovered some skeletons i don't know whether it was in romania but it was some kind of european country anyway where they found some skeletons and they had like big rocks stuffed into their their mouths essentially i think they were nailed to the ground as well with the rocks what was that to just stop them from biting anyone I, or just I, I don't well the, 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 the cross thing again obviously goes back to the introduction of Christianity so I did manage to find out about that and that basically just effectively all it was really saying is that there was the idea that because a lot of people in Eastern Europe slash all of the were forcibly converted to Christianity again when they gave up their kind of pagan beliefs whether by choice or whether they were made to do so but kept the idea of the vampire they had this idea in lots of the old myths that again of the light and dark so the lightness that represented the gods so natural things so the vampire would be disgusted by natural things because they were unnatural beings which I suppose might be where the idea of garlic and reflective surfaces and things like that comes from and then basically they just kind of adopted the cross into that so the cross was the most natural thing because it was a representation of Jesus, which is odd in itself because Jesus was nailed to the cross to die. So that seems fairly unnatural and cruel, but I think that's where the idea of sort of holy vampires not being able to approach holy water and vampires not being able to stand crosses comes from. And a wooden stake? Does that, is that, or is that just, am I just clutching the straws? Well, no, I, th- I, I mean, possibly, but I actually think you're, like what you were saying about basically hammering them into the ground so they couldn't rise up and then that changing over time into the idea that if you hammer a wooden stake into a vampire that'll kill them does seem to make sense it's just a also there was this mad thing where i read whereby another tradition to sort of distract a vampire would be to um, scatter spelt seeds or mustard seeds or poppy seeds or whatever over their grave or near the vampire's grave so that if he did get out then they would be compelled to count all of them and that would keep them occupied all night so he wouldn't go around biting the peasants because maths is unnatural. <laughs> I don't really understand where that. Although I suppose because it's seeds, so it's part of nature. But what, I guess we're a hungry vampire. I just don't understand it. <laughs> Which is really Which makes me think of the count in Sesame Street. That's why he counts. That's why he's called the count. Do, do you think there are other aspects of the count from Sesame Street that are actually part of vampire mythology that we're unaware of? Like what? I don't know. I'm trying to think. Why is he there? <laughs> house to be Why dead. does no one realise that he's an actual vampire who could potentially, you know, kill them all? Like, he's a Muppet vampire, obviously, if he loves to count, which is obviously maybe they're just keeping him distracted by making him count loads of things so he doesn't go around mass murdering them. Actually, yeah, from what you're saying, he doesn't love to count. It's some sort of form of cruel torture that children are watching. A man who's several hundred years old locked in some sort of purple room and forcing him to count things against his will. Yeah, because he'd rather just sink his teeth into Grover. My um, favourite thing... Maybe that's how Mr Hooper actually died. Maybe they forgot to count things from the count that day and he slaughtered him. He did, and he had to cover it up. (laughs) My... um, favourite random bit of uh, vampire mythology that I did find relating to to your um, that they were compelled to count was that the idea of them not being able to go out during sunlight um, came from this old myth. So again, before the vampire, some cultures had the idea of the upier, which is a bit like a, a sort of revenant, so it could walk during the day. Yeah. And then the vampire, they had the idea that it couldn't go out at night. And the reason that they said that is because in some European myths, 
the vampires were so disgusted by cockroaches that they always wanted by cockroaches. <laughs> they always wanted to flee to their coffins before the cockroaches crowed. So it was the idea that we could only go out during the nighttime, not during the day, because cockroaches are out during the day. Cockroaches are the, the, the like natural enemy of the vampire is a cockroach. <laughs> I mean, I've been scared of a few cocks in my time, so I suppose, I suppose it's understandable. I would probably want to hide. <laughs> Maybe that's it, and it's a mesh translation. Vampire walking around looking all sexy and getting harassed for, for things. I just want to sort of highlight the vampire in like culture and literature and how mm-hmm. that came about. So the earliest one that I found out about, which I'd heard of before, was uh, the vampire spelled V-A-M-P-Y-R-E, um, which was written by John Polidori and in 1819 and it was the vampire character was called lord reuben and supposedly he was based on lord byron as a sort of sexy aristocratic kind of vampire figure and then later on sort of in the 1840s there was barney the vampire which was my favorite because it was a penny dreadful and it was the first kind of vampire um popular story where it was from the vampire's point of view so Ooh. it was like how he became a vampire and he's telling you the story from if you were seeing it in the first person through his eyes. Is it they're all aristocratic lords or rich kind of, you know, like rich yeah. aristocrats that feed off the poor? What do you think of that? I mean, <laughs> I think if we were to describe anyone as modern day vampires, it would be all the money people who feed off the poor. So that <laughs> seems to stand. It's interesting as well, though, because I suppose traditionally not in literature but in your kind of eastern european culture it would be people of the poorer classes that were still practicing witchcraft and paganism and nature worship that would have been seen as the ones who would come back evil to the vampires so it's interesting to see that as time goes on and it develops it's then actually the the wealthy that presumably would have ancestry that might be involved in forced conversion that are then seen as being more likely to come back as the the vampires but then is that more to do with the the link between apparent wealth equal and apparent attractiveness or but it could be that as well and as well as it's like a metaphor for like the rich sucking the life out of the poor by taking all their money and keeping them downtrodden well you get like castles you know a lot of people who live in poverty here but still vote tory you get a lot of people who live in poverty in america but still vote for trump so there's that kind of idea of you being in the thrall of the vampire as well that you're almost hypnotized into thinking they're doing something good for you and as you say they're just draining you to death so I mean, yeah, that that makes sense. I'm on board with <laughs> money being vampires. And then we get to where it kind of all took off with um, Bram Stoker mm-hmm. when he wrote that. And when was it? I wrote this down somewhere. Yeah, Bram Stoker wrote Dracula in 1897, um, where apparently he was supposedly... Um, not just inspired by Vladimir Taylor, but a story about um, a, an aristocrat <coughs> in Bavaria or somewhere called Eleanor von Schwarzenberg, Good name. who lived from 1682 and died in 1741 at the age of 58. But apparently she was reburied because people thought she was a vampire and they did several rituals and stuff like that. And then they put, like I said earlier, a big slab over her, a big heavy slab on the floor so she couldn't commit back out I've never heard of this until now when I've looked into that apparently Bram Stoker read about this woman or found out about her while he was travelling around sort of Romania and things and then he wrote like a secret chapter or it was a chapter that wasn't published um, at the start that mentioned this woman it was actually about women it wasn't directly going to be about as in Vladimir Paler I don't know why he left it out though No I mean I've never heard of her until you talking about her right now and Mm -hmm. I'm interested I feel like River Slab, Free Eleanor. Yeah, but then when you think about it, like we've been talking about kind of mostly male vampires, um, famous male vampires, but then you've got Elizabeth Bathory, who wasn't, I don't know if she was an actual vampire, she was just a fucking monster who murdered her servants and then fought by bathing in her blood, she would become younger. Um, but then that sort of became entwined with the vampire lore and she yeah. was Countess Dracula and stuff like that. And then there was um, a story uh, called Carmilla. Carmilla, have you heard of that? No, I don't think so. Oh, you must have. It was um, she was sort of a, a lesbian vampire, and that was uh, there was a lot of like horror horror movies about Carmilla, 
because um so they could you know have like sort of lesbians in it <laughs> <laughs> vampires just for the titillation that was written back in let me see so Carmia was written by Joseph Sheridan Lithanu um, in 1872. So that was before Bram Stoker had written Jack Dracula. He wrote about Carmia, but she was like, she was sort of more of a sympathetic character, whereas if she wasn't absolutely evil, she just, she had this, she was, he, he wrote her as more sympathetic that she was compelled to do it, not that she wanted to. So did she kill her victims or did she just drink their blood then? No, she took, I think, well, she did, she killed some of them, but I haven't read it. I think from, I'm just going by the Hammer Horror movies. She, she's seen a woman that she fancied and basically turned her so that they'd become vampire lovers. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> she was like an aristocrat as well, though. I mean, I think that's quite romantic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as long as the other woman was up for it, then that seems fine to me. But then on the other hand, there's the um, myth of Lilith, which originates in Jewish culture, um, where she was, well, some people said that she was like um, Adam's first wife which I don't remember seeing that in the bible so I don't know where that came from and that she was also just a demon kind of that fed off the blood of like women and children and mostly females that she fed off of you've got like going back to ancient mythology there's the lamia that feeds again off of children and then there was another one I can't remember the name of it that just fed off of like men exclusively like young men so there's always a sexual kind of thing with vampires I looked into Lilith a bit as well because of my obvious obsession with the bible that you're aware of and yeah because i was wondering exactly as you said like where did that idea come from that what i think's interesting is there is this idea in christian culture and in jewish culture that exactly as you say she was adam's first wife and the reason that she turned into a vampire or was turned into a vampire is because she was cast out because of her refusal to follow adam's instructions and that meant that she was refusing to follow god's instructions and therefore she was bad which i thought in itself is quite a weird idea for someone to come up with that just because you don't do what your husband demands that you do, you're some sort of entity of evil. But you're right enough, like I started looking into it and it's not like there's some sort of obscure earlier draft of the Bible that contains lots of stories about her. There wasn't really anything written about her pretty much at all, other than a vague mention of her name, until the Middle Ages. And then in the Middle Ages, Jewish mystics began sort of expanding on her story and some Jewish mystics came up with this idea of her being Adam's disobedient first wife and it was her disobedience that made her a monster. And it wasn't actually until the 13th century that a Jewish writer called Isaac Ben Jacob Cohen uh, started to write about Lilith in more detail. And actually, even the earlier mentions of Lilith in the Bible, it wasn't necessarily a name, because that would translate in Hebrew into screech owl. So they might actually just have been talking about an owl. But he decided that it was a woman's name. They started to use it as a woman's name. And he wrote about her refusing to follow Adam's instructions. And, and I like this bit because I hadn't heard of this before. And leaving Adam for an archangel named Samael the Seducer, which is a great name. <laughs> Sorry, Mark, what did you say there? <laughs> so she left Adam for an archangel named Samael the Seducer. With a name like that, is it any surprise? Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to run off with Samael the Seducer? How did he seduce anybody? Just apparently. So yeah, I tried to look into Lilith a bit more. And it did seem that, as you were saying, like a lot of her story was lifted from other cultures. So really there wasn't a lot of writing about her. So I was like, oh, well, what happened with Samael, the seducer? I thought maybe he was like one of the fallen angels, but no, he was just an angel. That... So, so the way thought... that the story to go piecing it together from the 13th century is Lalith didn't want to be told what to do by Adam. So she left him. She left him for old sexy Samael. And then as a punishment, God turned her into a vampire. But then God just left her, like, cutting about. Samael kept working for God. I think the two of them are still together now. Again, it's all a very romantic story. Like, she left an abusive ex for somebody who was sound and sexy. Like, you mentioned there that, um, that God turned Lilith into a vampire. But that also reminds me of the story of Cain and Abel. Because, didn't, um, because Cain murdered or slaughtered his brother, God condemned him to walk the earth forever. Essentially, people claim that he's the first vampire. Yeah, there's quite a lot of, which again is interesting, going back to what you said earlier about Jesus, because there's quite a lot of bits in the New Testament where Jesus stops people dying or brings people back from the dead, and it's a good thing. And yet, in the Old Testament, whenever anyone does something to wrong God, there seems to quite often be a punishment where he's like, well, you're going to have to live forever now, which... Which doesn't seem that bad a punishment. Yeah, it doesn't seem, again, yeah, like to say, well, that's your punishment for killing your brother is that you're going to have to be alive forever, or... Again, with the whole Lilith story to be, 
like well your punishment for doing something i strongly disapprove of is you get to stay with your new man who you clearly far prefer and again who is very seductive and sexy and now you need to live forever like all right (laughs) is that a punishment going back to when at the beginning of this podcast when we were describing why we were fascinated by vampires when we were younger is it because of like for like what you said when you were a teenager is it that concept that they're quite seductive and the the sort of idea that you can live forever and stay young forever and be essentially like fascinating and romantic and sexy and powerful is that where the appeal of these things are like they're essentially they're they're supposed to be monsters they kill people to live but yet we're all we all love them yeah it's like people want to be them for exactly the reason you're saying that they are seductive and either again often depicted as being very attractive or at least being able to appear as very attractive and and have the power to hit people into doing what they want and glamorizing them but then when you like let's think about ugly vampires so (laughs) because people do not talk about ugly vampires enough well yeah because not all vampires are beautiful these gorgeous creatures um, there's like if you think about Nosferatu, that silent the silent movie that was made in 1922. Now they couldn't um, basically they wanted to essentially the first film was about Dracula based on the novel, but because um, Bram Stoker's wife widow was still alive back then, she was like, no, you're you're not allowed to basically make a movie about my husband's novel. It's, I'm I'm not allowing you the rights, so they couldn't call it Dracula so they called it Nosferatu and then they made instead of making him this seductive kind of town they made him into this sort of rat like kind of bat like man looking thing mm-hmm. and he was called Count Orloff and I think he's really really actually quite scary looking but it's the same story like a young man goes to visit Count Orloff to like make a deal or something about buying a house and he doesn't even hide the fact that he's this hideous sort of man bat creature <laughs> <laughs> he's actually really terrifying and I find that more interesting as well like and also like I used to hate the fact that like when I saw I think the first Buffy the Vampire Slayer film that the vampires were ugly looking and also in the Lost Boys they've got this sort of demonic face that they change yeah. through and become vampires like they're like beautiful teenagers and then they, their face just goes all like monstrous so there's that um whatever ugly vampires can think of I think like Quite a lot of the myths from other cultures, like outside of European or Slavic culture, do seem to have when I was looking into it. Not necessarily that they are ugly, that they have this kind of like dual appearance. They can either appeal to you and look spectacularly beautiful, or they can be entirely unappealing and monstrous, but they can sort of shift from one form to the other. Like- then when you think about the films, right? There's Bram Stoker's Dracula, you know, the Francis Ford Coppola one, and Gary Oldman first appears as like this hideous kind of old man with a mad hairdo. And, uh, and it slowly, slowly, gradually becomes more and more hot. And it was the same with that that recent BBC drama, which I loved, which um, was um, the Danish actor Clay's Bang, what a name. And he started off as a kind of really old, decrepit kind of man who gradually, when I think, presumably the more he drinks blood, the more invigorated and youthful he becomes and more seductive. Plus, he didn't care whether he was like seducing a man or a woman. Like It's almost as if like, with the vampire sexuality, it doesn't really matter. I think it's interesting as well that the idea in literature because like you say it seems to be in some stories at least like they are hideous and then they feed and they become beautiful whereas i think in some of the other ancient myths it's that they are beautiful until they feed and then they don't have to be seductive anymore so they can revert to being whatever form it is that they i don't know prefer like a bat or a wolf one of the ones that i found quite interesting is the impusa or the impuse which the empussy. The empussy. I enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, when I was looking at the story of Lilith, and then, as I said, that Lilith, prior to Jewish mystics deciding it was a woman's name, just probably means screech evil. And I thought that was quite interesting because then I started looking into this story of the empussa, if there's just one of her, or the empussy, if there's several of them. But they were the supposed to be the daughters of, is it Hecate? I can never pronounce that properly. Yeah, I know who that is. Yeah. So they were supposed to be the, either the daughter of Hecate or the daughters of Hecate, but they were owls, so they travelled around in the form of owls. But when they wanted to feed, what they were doing as owls was they were roaming the land looking for male travellers who would be camping out at night. And then when they saw the male travellers, they would take the form of a beautiful woman with flaming hair. And then they would go and pretend they were camping there as well and seduce the male travellers. 
And then after they'd had sex and the traveller had fallen asleep, they would then drink their blood, strip their flesh and eat it. And then quite liked as well because I thought, well, why would they want to frighten other travellers? They would gather their bones and then place them at the nearest crossroads to frighten travellers away. But then once they'd done that, they would turn back into owls again and just, you know, carry on cutting about and being an owl. So that's interesting as well, the whole thing about the owls, because before the vampire bats were discovered and, and mixed in with the sort of bat associated with vampire lore, it was basically owls or sort of birds of prey mm. that um, linked with vampires. And then going back to the, the legend, the, the Greek legend of the Lamia, she was a sort of half snake, half woman. Also, sometimes she would appear in the form of a, like a, a bird of prey, like a black bird. And she would that would be like her, her demon form. But then she would also transform when she wanted to seduce like young men or, or like little children away from their mothers or something. She would just t- turn into the form of a, a beautiful woman. Do you think that, like, did you notice when you were researching where the idea of the, obviously the idea of vampires turning into bats comes from the vampire bat, but... When did that sort of enter popular culture? Because now that you're saying that, yeah, none of the ancient myths that I've researched seem to really have any relation to them turning into bats at all. I don't know. I think because he, I don't even in Bram Stoker's Dracula, I don't recall Dracula ever turning into a bat. I know he turned into a wolf, but he, he definitely didn't turn into a bat. He turned into a bat. A bat. He turned into a bat. I don't know. I know he, I know he became like vapor. Which is another strange thing. He could turn into mist, so he could go through the door. How would he? If you're not allowed in without an invitation, then why would he just turn into mist so he could go through keyholes and stuff? I went to say the strangest thing there, which was does mist what? not have to be invited in? But I mean, if a vampire <laughs> mist rather than does mist have permission to enter your home without your permission? <laughs> <laughs> the thing you're saying about wolves as well, I wonder if that's now. I might be talking absolute rubbish here because I didn't note it down, so I can't remember which. Slavic culture it's from, but I think it might have been when I was looking at stuff to do with Bulgarian myth that one of the ways that they believed that you would become a vampire is basically just if you were a werewolf and then you died you would then be a vampire oh, then ties into, maybe not the mist thing but definitely the idea that you could change from human form into wolf form because you were basically just a deceased werewolf Right, I've just looked this up, right, so this makes sense, this is what I kind of thought so in my mind, the first time I ever saw like a vampire bat in relation to vampires was when I was watching Bela Lugosi in mm-hmm. Dracula, which was made in 1931. Um, and the vampire bat was first discovered in oh, March 1932, but it must have been before then, because Dracula was filmed, or unless that's a coincidence. <laughs> but it, it was, it's, it's pretty much the 1930s that people more became aware of vampire bats. So maybe that's why they were kind of more and more included in sort of vampire films. I suppose, well, if it was a coincidence, that would make sense because if they started releasing films about vampires at the same point in time that they found out that vampire bats existed, then it would add up that both things kind of entered the collective consciousness at the same time, so both things became interlinked. Yeah, vampire bats got their names from human myths about vampires, not the other way around. So in many human cultures, vampires are people who return from the dead, blah, 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 feed on the blood of living people. After the bats were discovered by European explorers, they were given the name vampire, denoting blood feeding. So they don't even, they don't live in Europe. They live in South and Central America. So it's basically, they were given the name vampire based on the myth because they're blood drinking creatures. That's all it is. It's just telling me about the actual vampire bat, not how it relates to the myth. That must have been so weird for explorers at that point in time that that something that was mythical then almost immediately appeared to be real. Like you could, at the point where you were just starting to have access to these stories in a cinematic way. And then if you happen to be somebody that went to explore South America, I'm saying that as though people from South America don't exist. I'm sure they probably already noticed vampire bats. But (laughs) if you were from Europe and you'd started to access these films and then you went to South America and people were talking about this idea of vampire bats, that must have been, I don't know, weird. I just can't imagine. Like, it's strange how much the world's changed in such a short amount of time that everybody can access all information now, whereas previously that would have seemed like the most insane coincidence ever. Oh, here's a fact about vampire bats. So the saliva of vampire bats contains an anti... I can't speak. An anti... um, How do you say this? Is it coagulant? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Called Draculin, which was named after Bram Stoker's Count Dracula. But they don't suck blood, they rather lap it up. Oh yeah, so they do, they just lap it up, don't they? With their little, they make a small incision in their teeth first and then lap it up. But then 
I don't know why I'm smiling so much because even though we're talking about it, yeah. blood, I'm like, oh, because I think bats are great. <laughs> the idea of them lapping blood, I'm like, oh, that's sweet. And I think with the, yeah, because then in the, they've got that thing in their saliva so that the blood doesn't congeal, so they've got a constant supply. We're, we're totally off track here with the vampire bat thing. <laughs> Not really though, because it is, I mean, I suppose it's, it is a vampire, it's just a vampire that we definitely know exists. But then, right, so there's people today that claim that they need to drink blood to survive, um, blaming it on a condition called porphyria, which has been discredited by scientists saying that, no, that's bullshit, they don't actually need to drink blood because of porphyria, which is a condition where um, you can hemorrhage constantly, um, or will these people claim that it's because they're severely anemic that they need to drink blood? all the time and it makes them really sensitive to sunlight and everything which i'm sure as a, 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 i'm sure the sensitivity to sunlight and everything is a real condition yeah. i don't think that they need to drink blood i think it's just them um, wanting sounds more interesting and yeah. just want to be part of golf culture i have very low iron levels and i take something called fluoroxidil which is basically iron vegetable extract because well as you know, I'm vegetarian as well. So I was worried that that might be what would cause my low iron levels. But apparently, the best way to get iron into your system isn't through blood anyway or through any kind of red meat. The actual way to get the highest iron content is vegetable extract that has high levels of iron. So yeah, that wouldn't make any sense at all. Even if that was something that was really wrong with them, yeah, they might be light sensitive, but really they should eat more spinach, not drink human blood. And then there's also like the vampire as um, like not a creature that sucks blood out of you but like a, a seductive woman mm-hmm. so there was a whole um sort of in, back in the early silent era there was an actress called Fada Barra who became like sort of one of the first vamp characters um actresses as a sort of seductive like kind of mysterious woman who seduces men and and ruins them that's another sort of vampire myth do you think that that would count as in a way energy vampires because the whole idea of the vamp yeah She's not actually drinking your blood, but yeah, she's almost like taking your your life energy. Yeah, well, maybe we should just leave that till um, the next podcast when we're going to focus on energy vampires. Then we can touch on Faye the Barra and the sort of silent era, yeah, or at vamp actresses of that kind of um, ilk. So also, what I became obsessed with was Anne Rice vampires, whereby when they become vampires, they stay the same forever. So if you had like a mullet, say, and you got turned into a vampire, if you tried to change that hairstyle, it would just grow back the next day. So you're stuck with that for the rest of your immortality. There's nothing you can do. If you had like a wart on your face, then that would stay there. And they basically, um, the myth about that was the origins of those vampires that it um, started in ancient Egypt. And it was a spirit called Amel that basically was became obsessed with like drinking bits of blood or was trying to impress these sort of twins that could communicate with spirits. And then it just sort of decided to take over a complete person and by doing that transformed. But there's more to that story, but I don't want to spoil anything. It does um, border on the ridiculous. So um, I don't really want to get into that. But it turns out that Emil was not a spirit, but well, it was a spirit, but he was like the ghost of a, a sort of alien. It's just like Scientology. But it blew my mind when I first watched the film. That's when I started. That's when I discovered Anne Rice books was because I watched Interview the Vampire. My sister introduced me to that movie, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is this changes everything." Because they weren't scared of crosses, garlic, any of that. The the religious side of it was completely gone. It was just, it was basically like a sort of, I don't know, by you you become a vampire by means of a blood transfusion or some sort of magical thing in the blood that changes you, but it grants you immortality. And then the downside of that is that you just have to drink blood to survive but you don't the only other thing that that was true was that they still got affected by sunlight they they couldn't go out in the sun but apart from that all the other kind of traditional vampire stuff was just like totally thrown out the window and it was like i was just like i couldn't believe it it was so like fresh to me so then i started reading all those novels and getting into them as like seeing vampires not as monsters but as like tragic figures but then i think it's interesting how much of modern vampire culture if you want is probably influenced by the works of Anne Rice because quite a lot of the things that you're talking about there like even the you become a vampire because you basically get a transfusion of vampire blood like a lot of those kind of ideas obviously come from Anne Rice but are now synonymous with what it is to be a vampire or synonymous with vampirism like I think she had a massive impact obviously as you know because you bought me the book um I loved that film when I was younger as well and then you bought me the first book and I became obsessed with that and 
Yeah, and I started like preaching it about like it was the word of God or something. <laughs> Have you heard the word of Anne? <laughs> I wanted everyone to read these books and watch the movie because I was just like so enamored with it all. Like, I was totally obsessed. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I, I like to know that your reading and my reading are obviously slightly different because the whole part uh, when Louis becomes a vampire and he like vomits up all of the badness in him. And I, in my young minds, just assumed that that meant that he was vomiting up anything ugly about him. So almost, if you had any unattractive qualities like bad hair, you would suck it into yourself and vomit it out. So in my mind, I was like, yeah, they're stuck looking the exact same forever, but the exact same is hot, so it's fine. Like, well, like, see, that's the thing. Like, in her world, all of the vampires are hot and beautiful because they wouldn't make a vampire. The only reason why like Lestat chose Louis to become his companion is because he was beautiful. And he, he basically fell in love with him at first sight and chose him because he had beautiful green eyes and gorgeous like black hair and it was just absolutely stunning. So he thought, right, I'll have him. Whereas the, the vampire that made Lestat was a hideous creature with no teeth called Magnus. And he like he was like really old looking, he had grey, like straggly grey hair. And the only reason he became a vampire was not because he was seduced by one, it was because he stole he stole the the blood from a vampire himself. He was like a what do you call them? That try and turn like base metals into gold. An alchemist. An alchemist, right? He was one of them and he discovered one of the vampires and then he, he held him prisoner. Um, for some reason, I don't know how he managed to do that and stole the blood off him to become a vampire so it wasn't given to him. And that's why he was ugly because that shouldn't have happened, apparently. Yeah, no, I remember <laughs> when I got to the bits of the book that, or the bits of the books that then go on to describe Marius and yeah, before you got the background story of how a hideous creature came to be a vampire. I was very confused by it because, again, in my reading of the stories, I was like, right, so vampire gives you their blood, you puke up all of your ugliness, which, again, I'm not entirely sure how that works, but you're no longer unattractive because you puked all your ugliness out, and then, you know, that's you, you're sorted. So, yeah, reading the descriptions of Marius, you're very like, but don't, I don't follow. Like, surely just becoming a vampire automatically makes you hot. And, again, I think that goes back to all of the vampire mythology. Like, they're seductive, they're hypnotic, they're engaging like, you know, Lilith seduced somebody who's called the seducer. Like, <laughs> she must have been pretty fat to get him on site. Wait, I thought you said that he seduced her. So she seduced him. I think they kind of seduced each other. Fair enough. But then he wouldn't be the seducer, he would be the seduced. Well, prior to the stories about him and Lilith <laughs> together, if you want, he was already called the seducer. So I don't think he got the name from seducing Lilith. I think he just got the name from being generally seductive. And then they're obviously so fat that they both just couldn't resist each other. And then there was the sort of the child vampire. So there's Claudia, who was five years old in the novel, but obviously they couldn't get a five-year-old to act like an adult in the movie. So they got Kirsten Dunstan, who was like 11 at the time, did a fabulous job. And like you see in the movie that she can't grow up, she can't become a woman, she's stuck in that body forever. So there's that's kind of a horrific concept, is, is like doing things like that to a child or... Could you make animals into vampires, or does it only work on humans? Like, say you had a dog that you really loved, and you're like, oh, I don't want, I don't want to give you up. Can I make? Like, nobody's ever touched on that. Yeah, fair point. I've never... I'm also thinking, like, what if you made your owl into a vampire? Would that mean it would be an owl that could turn into an owl? Like, how would that work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever, I've ever seen that in a movie. Or, oh no, wait, was there not vampire cows in the oh, that stupid film? The, what was it called? The Littlest Vampire? Something. Oh, was that wee kid from um, Jerry Maguire? Sure, there vampire cows in that. I've never seen it, but I think you might be right. I seem to vaguely remember that from somewhere. Yeah, because I find that funny because, like, even in like kids' films and like kids' cartoons, you've got like vampires in it, but they're monsters that kill people, so they're trying to make them into something more family friendly. Yeah. <laughs> like the cow or. Um, there's Mona the vampire, but she's not really a vampire, is she? She's just a, a girl that likes to dress up as one and then investigate stuff. Or what about Count Dracula? <laughs> <laughs> but then Count Dracula doesn't drink blood, does he? He drains the he juice out of Yeah. Because some tomato sauce got mixed up and he's... I don't know how did that... How, what? It's a stupid cartoon. Now, yeah, right? I don't... <laughs> I'm now trying to remember. It was... You are right. It was Nanny somehow introduced tomato sauce instead of blood but i'm not entirely sure into what because surely like let's say vampires are real and you died and i gave you a massive blood transfusion of tomato ketchup surely you'd still be dead like why would that turn you into a vampire just because my intention was to give you a transfusion of vampire blood 
I don't know why I'm now talking about the logic of Count Dracula. As though it's considered to be some sort of like historic <laughs> piece. No, but come on, he's part of the he's part of the culture. He's called right. So, well, maybe Americans might not know who Count Dracula is because it was pretty much a British um, television like cartoon with um, what, David Jason as the voice of Count Dracula. But yeah, because it's a British animated comedy. But how, if, he, if he's a vegetarian, then that doesn't really make him a vampire, does it? No, I mean vegetables. If his blood isn't vampire blood, his blood is tomato sauce. So that <laughs> no no mark in the being a vampire there. And then yeah, he doesn't seduce and drink the blood of people. He drinks is it tomato juice specifically, or I feel like it's red, like any vegetable that's got juice, he can drink the red juice. So basically, yeah, he's not he's not a vampire, he's a liar. <laughs> I'm sorry, Count Duck, but you're a liar. It's here that the series ex- it, no it, they explore the theme that each resurrection creates a new incarnation with little to no memory of its past life. The immediate past incarnation referred to as the current's father. Thus, every incarnation is free to develop its own personality and pursue its own personal interests. The vampire is able to pose as a dreadful dynasty, the Counts of Ducula. That doesn't make any sense to me. The preceding generations included knights, sorcerers, scientists, artists, Egyptologists, and even professional gamblers, all of whom are also secretly vicious vampire ducks. As the title sequence puts it, the latest reincarnation did not run according to plan. The successful conclusion of the ritual requires blood, the source of sustenance for any vampire, but Nanny accidentally it is, it's ketchup, it substitutes ketchup. Consequently, the newest version is not a blood sucking vampire, but a vegetarian one. He's more interested in juicy carrots than hunting for victims. Igor is appalled, even worse, his new master is obsessed with pursuing wealth and fame as an entertainer. Right, okay. So instead of like blood, he, he lusts for fame and riches. But what vampires do. We did establish from that that Count Ducula's dad was definitely a mass murderer, so I'm glad we know that now. <laughs> <laughs> he did seduce and eat young women from the village and was still a duck. So you would say the, the people who remembered Count Ducula's dad as having killed their families would still not accept a vegetarian, even if he claims he's a vegetarian, would accept his successor. <laughs> like a decent person. I now have visions of like an episode of Count Duckula where he's like to a villager, come in, I've opened this new beautiful <laughs> restaurant and they're like, no, I'm not coming in because need I remind you that your dad murdered my wife? Popular themes in children's television. Yeah, and I believe that he's still, you've still got him, my kids locked up in your dungeon from when your dad was still alive and he was using it as a human blood bag. <laughs> I think we should remake Count Docula, but with a greater exploration of his dad. <laughs> or, or just have a Count Docula prequel where it is his dad going around like seducing the people of the village and murdering them. But then the story, what they're saying is that um, we have to resurrect the previous duck. So isn't Count Docula his own dad? Yeah, it sounds a bit like Doctor Who, which then... I don't know when they're talking again, there's no Count Duncula mythology as the except vampire mythology, but it does add an interesting element to the immortality that even if you are staked, you're not actually dead, you're just brought back again, but slightly different. Well, they did that in the Hammer Horror films with Christopher Lee, which is one of the things I loved, is that they, at the start, there would be like secret Satanists in this Victorian village um, who worshipped like, the, the devil and then wanted to bring like Dracula back to life by having to sacrifice someone. And then as a result of that, like they would pour blood onto Dracula's sort of desiccated, powdery corpse. Like, why was it there? If you wanted to get rid of Dracula forever, why would you keep his ashes somewhere where someone would find it and bring it back to life? But anyway, (laughs) and then they had to drink the blood in these goblets as well as part of the ritual to bring him back. But then somehow when Dracula, when Christopher Lee came back as Dracula, he was all pissed off at them because he brought him back to life. So we cursed them and had them killed and then seduced our daughters. (laughs) You think he'd be careful? Weird revenge act, and yeah, too. What was he annoyed about? Maybe he was like, you know, happy in heaven or something. And they brought him back to life. He's like, Again, it's the weird biblical thing of like, you're cursed to be hot and live forever. Yeah. And also, yeah. if you meet anyone else that you think's hot, give them immortality too. Not really a curse. Sexy, sexually transmitted disease, basically. Yeah. Which also kind of brings us back to Bram Stoker's Dracula, as in that. There was a lot of like syphilis and like fear of sexually transmitted diseases going about at that time or tuberculosis and things like that, whereby he's probably he brought that into his novel as part of like that kind of fear. But Victorians weren't as prudish as, as people think. They were right into their porn. 
obviously like spread it about as much because obviously there wasn't the internet back then yeah so people tend to think of victorians as oh my god there's a woman's ankle i'm going to change that's crap they were filthy <laughs> i've seen the pictures <laughs> also, and also bram stoker was also like um people said that he was he was homosexual like he had really close um relationships with um i oh, was an actor at the time famous actor and um and who played the role of dracula as well and he was really close friends with him some say he had a sexual relationship and that Dracula was a sort of metaphor for his homosexuality. I suppose though if people obviously like the best authors write what they know then yeah if Dracula's a bisexual character and he's so well written it would make sense that Bram, Sto- Bram Stoker sorry, was um, also a bisexual person. Yeah because he actually Jonathan Harker as well he wants him yeah. to stay so he doesn't want him to leave. And to be fair just based on the film who wouldn't seduce Jonathan Harker like well, Keanu Reeves was a bit... Was a Keanu bit. Reeves in a nice suit, yes, please. <laughs> he was a terrible, terrible actor in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's nice to look at, so... And if vampires have taught us anything, it's that we should judge people on how they look. That's true. It's and the main lesson that vampires have for us to learn. Yeah, nobody likes an ugly vampire. No. Oh, <laughs> that's right. Oh, one of my favourite stories that I found about... Um, vampires that not are i mean i'm saying not are ugly that are technically monstrous but appear not to be as i was looking at the indonesian vampire myth which is called, okay. uh, two seconds i noted it down because if i don't write it out phonetically i will not be able to say it the pen and gal have you heard of the pen and gal no please do the idea that if a beautiful single woman moves into your neighborhood that she might be a vampire if women uh, start to die round about or become ill or if uh, there's an increase in miscarriages and the reason is that really her head is the only part of her that you can see that's actually real so i suppose technically still hot and at night her head detaches from her body or oh internal organs with it so basically it's like a flying head with trailing internal organs behind it and it sneaks into your house at night and then with like a moth-like proboscis slides it down sleeping women's throats and drinks their blood but if they're pregnant it slides it down pregnant women's throats and drinks the blood of their fetus until it's dead and then returns to the body and reattaches. That's <laughs> horrific. It is horrific. I was a massive fan of it. But then I suppose I'm saying that, but technically not ugly. Like, still apparently beautiful, just a beautiful head with I organs. Mean, I know there's excuses for why you might have, like, miscarried, but that's quite an exaggeration. Yes. <laughs> believe that. But... <laughs> I suppose it ties into, again, the whole sort of like othering of people in society that it's this idea that if a single woman moves into your neighbourhood, beware! Like, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Like, the women are sort of like, if they're hot and they, they, they're they single, then there's there's something they don't obey. If you're rebellious, then you're some sort of other kind of, I don't know, like the little Lilith thing. She done yeah, like, women should be married, so if you're hot and not married, then there's obviously something sneaky going on there. If you're a witch or something. <laughs> the logical assumption being that you can detach your head from your body to go out and drain the blood of women. <laughs> well, is that then some sort of, I didn't think about this when I read it, but is it some sort of veiled anti-lesbian <laughs> statement as well? Like, if a beautiful woman is unmarried, then mm. maybe mm. her head is sneaking into your wife's bed at night and she's invading her with her proboscis. Could be. <laughs> As we know, all women who identify as lesbian or bisexual are moths, so it all ties together. And who discovered this woman? Like, how did they how did they know that this was happening? Like, where is this coming from? It was one of those myths. It's like such an old myth that that was basically, you know, when that's just kind of it. Like, I wanted more. I'm like, this is fascinating, but that that is the myth. It's so old that it's just kind of a a given. It's like an old wives' tale. Like, y'all know not to trust hot single women because they might actually be a weird moth head monster beast thing. Yeah, it makes me think of that film, The Witch, you know? Yes. Where all the women, or the she's quite hot, and she lives in the woods, and she, was she hot? She, she had, like, red hair, didn't she? She's like a seductive yeah. woman that lived in, that was basically accused of being the witch that was eating children. And then it turns out, yeah, she was a witch, and then they were all wandering naked into the woods with the power of Satan. So, yeah, I mean, basically evil versus like it is it's, a, it's essentially basically like the devil plays the best tunes has all the, the best looking women and the, the the good side of things is kind of boring and not very fun yeah you're right it's that kind like, of blandness versus like again you've got dracula like, this sort of hot 
single bisexual decadent fabulous man or you've got the ideas of yeah these women that again it's like the hot single woman who's in control of her own sexuality like oh that's evil beware whereas actually yeah it sounds a lot more fun to be a yeah, vampire but again, than digressing because sorry i mentioned about the vampire the woman as vampire in films as a seductive woman mm-hmm. so we're sort of getting down into that so we should maybe leave that to next week so we're kind of getting a little bit off topic so i'm just going to bring it back to the sort of main thing we're talking about which is like the the mythological vampire that sucks people's blood but we are over an hour into this now so i don't know whether you want to keep talking about is there anything else you want to say or should no i'd say we could wrap up on our our blood drinking vampires for this week to return our energy sucking vampires next week so just to to round off this podcast then so we've talked about the vampires and sort of like the past, you know, throughout the 19th century, through the early 20th century in movies and TV and Dracula mostly and then Anne Rice. And then you come to like the young adult kind of vampires with, you know, Twilight where they sparkle and stuff like that. <laughs> or the vampire diaries where, again, it's sort of a romantic thing. There's women that's just by a couple of guys. Why not the other way around? I quite like True Blood. The True Blood books are really fun. Yeah, I enjoyed the True Blood books. And because I'll that involves all the show. Yeah, it's not just about vampires. It's about, like, different mythological creatures that all kind of exist that sort of come out of the closet. Like, the vampires are like, nah, we're not hiding anymore. We're just going to... Because they come up with synthetic bloods, which is interesting because they don't need to actually, like, take the blood from humans because they've got a synthetic version, but it's not quite as good as a real thing. Kind of I thing. like True Blood books and TV programme as well because, as you say, it's a lot about them coming out of the closet and all of them, as far as I'm aware, I don't think there's any vampiric characters in the show that aren't bisexual and... Again, it seems to link into that idea of vampirism being a representation for sexuality or bisexuality. And yeah, I think the only creatures that didn't come out of the sort of like closet, so to speak, were the shapeshifters. Yeah. Um, and the fairies, the fae. But the vampires, when they came out, they basically they're not these tragic figures. They're just basically they're just themselves. And some of them are arseholes, some of them are bastards, some of them are quite nice. It, it just they've all got their different stories i quite like that about them yeah but it was still have an element of danger to them yeah they're basically all again seem to be like the thing that links them together i've now just decided that vampirism is a representation of bisexuality and i'm rolling with that but okay. <laughs> because really everyone is bisexual and everyone should come out the closet and that's the other model for today but yeah the the whole idea that the thing that sort of links all of them together does seem to be that they for the most part, are in control of their own sexuality and accept their bisexuality. But then other than that, every single vampire character in it is completely different. And some of them are beautiful, some of them are normal looking, some of them are what would be considered unattractive, some of them are interesting, some of them are boring, some of them are, again, perfectly normal everyday beings. And they get clubs, they have to, like, work. They open up, like, clubs or something, bars, or they just work in the government. They even have their own, like, royal aims, things like that, their own council. Yes. Politics. So... Um, in terms of like now there's i think the last thing there hasn't been a lot of like vampires it's mostly been like in the culture it's mostly been like superheroes basically that's prevalent in the sort of like movie and tv i think the last one was like true blood and then there was um the bbc dracula which was interesting because he sort of brought him from like the 19th century into the modern world yeah and how he coped then which i thought was quite good I really didn't like the ending of it though. I just thought it was ridiculous. She basically, Van Helsing was like a nun and she basically said to him, well, the reason why you're scared of sunlight is because you're ashamed. You're ashamed of being alive and you're sh- and you're basically shrinking away from the sunlight because you're you're ashamed that you've cheated death, which doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. No, clearly it's because he was worried that he'd see a cockerel if he went out in the sunlight. Vampires <laughs> <laughs> hate cockerels. <laughs> so like what... What are your final thoughts on vampires then, Mark? Um, good, good all-round mythical beings. Um, I mean, yeah, as you said at the start of this, I've always been a massive fan of the idea of vampires and vampirism and I've been quite interested in it since I was younger. But yeah, I quite enjoyed doing a bit more research into them. I like the idea that, as I said last week, of mythical creatures quite often being a representation of the other in society and what people don't want you to do. Mm-hmm. And that really most vampire stories do just seem to be the idea that we shouldn't trust people that are that embrace the fact that they are sexual beings with some sort of control over their own body and the yeah, ability to do what they want and be with who they want. And I think, yay, vampires. <laughs> we could learn a lot from vampires. What, what are your closing thoughts on vampires? I think 
they're ultimately the the sort of the ultimate fantasy. Like you get to live forever, you get to be like really hot forever, and you have power. You can, depending on what kind of vampire you are, you can change to um like different creatures and things like that i mean i suppose it depends on your point of view if you're like a religious person then a vampire is like horrific and that's the last thing you want to be um it's like a creature of like horror and revulsion but to me the vampire was something like sexy and seductive and overall you just want it's just so fantastic that you just want to be part of their world only the downside is you're drinking blood but is it any different i don't know i mean yeah we all have to eat things we don't enjoy if we want to be healthy yeah but then on the other hand do you really want to live forever that's why they make companions but then after a while if you live with someone for so long you get sick of them and you just don't want to live with them anymore <laughs> but then you see people that you love die and you see it but again you think well imagine seeing how the world changes and you you get to see that and then maybe if you're sick of it you can just choose to kill yourself i don't know yeah i just think it's interesting how there's always been some sort of fascination with vampires from ancient times right up until now so i think they're always going to be around and people are always going to be fascinated with them and even though there's going to be like gaps where there's not going to be a lot of movies or there's not going to be a lot of, like trends in vampire novels or movies or comic books in fact there is a comic character called morbius isn't there the living vampire yeah, even right. marvel are getting into that they're, they're bringing a vampire character in there into that sort of marvel universe so and there's a morbius one coming out and there's also Blade, who's the Daywalker uh, vampire, which I suppose technically makes him a revenant, going back to what we were talking about earlier. But there's a lot of vampires in that comic, and it's been made into a film as well. I think it's due out in 2022, maybe. I think ultimately what it comes down to is that, the, that people don't want... It's the concept of death. It's survival after death. I think people like more of the idea of coming back as a vampire than coming back as a ghost. Yeah, and again, it seems like vampires have, in most stories, complete control over everything they do. The only thing they don't have control over is their desire for blood. But other than that, they... But even then, through blood mixed, potentially, as a scientist in a modern world, you could make a, synth- a synthetic blood so that you don't, so that you could live as a vampire and not necessarily have to murder people. Yeah. Which makes it even more seductive because... You gain immortality. You can wear sunglasses during the day or something. Wear like really good sunblock or something like that, and you could live a, a relatively awesome life. Plus yeah. the amazing at sex. <laughs> I mean, there, there doesn't seem to be any. I was going to say there doesn't seem to be any downside unless Nanny accidentally swaps out the bloods for tomato ketchup. But either <laughs> that seems to work out fine for Count Dracula. So actually, yeah, no matter what happens, it's a positive. Exactly. They're always going to be in people's sort of pop culture and I think the vampire is always going to be around even like hundreds of years from now they're always people are still going to be fascinated by the concept or we might become some sort of vampire like creatures ourselves in some sort of way I mean even then I think that stories would still be fascinating to people because yeah I think whatever like if, if that's not the case then people will find them fascinating because people are always going to be well seduced by seductive characters and people are always going to be obsessing over the idea of how to live forever and then if we do actually work out how to become vampire creatures then i suppose the mythology would still be interesting because people would want to read about what people thought it was to be a vampire before people could be vampires so either way yeah either way it's fascinating and well then there's that book i am legend where the reason why he was a legend is because everyone else in the world had literally become vampires so they were like the new normal and he was a weird one i mean I was going to say if everyone was a vampire going to be one, if anyone was a vampire going to be one, like I think I'd be quite pissed off if one person was a vampire and I didn't get to be one. But then that would upset all the gods. They wouldn't be like individuals anymore. They would just be the normal. They would be the squares. <laughs> but then if it was like true blood, just because you're a vampire doesn't mean you have to be a goth. Like you could still be a like yeah nerdy vampire. You could be a skanky arachnid vampire. You can be whatever kind of vampire you dream of. It's all good. Okay, well on that note, let's just. Uh, talk about our next episodes which we'll do next week obviously so um, we're going to talk about a different kind of vampire which is the concept of a psychic vampire so can you just like maybe wrap, like, explain or summarize what that is yeah so we're going to look into the idea of vampires that rather than sustaining themselves on human blood sustain themselves on the energy of other humans so they in some way drain your energy or your ability to stay awake or your life force and that's what keeps them alive so we're going to do a bit of research into that and then next week have a chat about our, our thoughts on energy vampires or psychic vampires yeah or um the sort of vampire woman who's not 
drinking blood, but rather suggests men using her beauty and I don't know, evil ways. Psychic <laughs> <laughs> vampire as well. Okay, well, talk to you next week, Mark. And yeah. we'll talk all about the psychic vampire. How was this session for you? Uh, it was good. It brought up a lot of interesting points. I think I'm going to see if I can make contact with Samael the seducer and see if he finds oh, out for a drink. I definitely want to start praying to Samael the seducer. How do you summon him? Because I want to be seduced by this guy, or maybe I'm just not good enough for him. I, don't, I mean, that, that can be part of my homework for next week. I'll look into psychic um, <laughs> vampires and also see if I can summon Samael the seducer. That'll be our, um, our, our wee project in between podcasts then. See who gets to, to Samael, Samael the seducer to seduce them first. I feel like if we can summon Samael and Lilith, then we'll be fine. We can just, we I mean, one of them, we can just flip it going. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone out there, maybe you should try and summon Samael the seducer yourselves and see how good he is. Yeah, and if you manage to write do that, yeah, write a review, let us know how it went for you, and let us know how you can summon him. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye, everyone. Goodbye, Leslie. <laughs>